The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked, Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The gospel of the Lord. The word of God indeed fills us up like an overflowing fountain, beautiful and full. Prosperity gospel preachers oftentimes, I think, fill up the septic tank of the soul. Pastor Bill kind of brought this up last week, um, that there is a lot of heresy going on um, in the preaching of, or supposed preaching of God's word. It's just downright wrong. I bring it up because our first lesson today may kind of lead down that path. But one of the many reasons that the kind of individualistic and material prosperity preaching is wrong is because such passages as these, like the one we have before us in Deuteronomy, are emphasizing the prosperity, the blessing that comes from God on the whole community Never would it be about an individual's financial prosperity or their material uh, gain, especially over against the rest of the community, against others. Faithfulness to God brings blessing. Oftentimes what that blessing means, though, is that we get more of an opportunity to live for the sake of our community. I want to say that clearly because, as, as some kind of pointed out in our, in our Bible studies this week, it seems at first glance like the first reading and the, and the gospel lesson today are sort of opposites, as if God's word is sort of going in different directions at the same time. But they are not. When the lens of prosperity and blessing is defined as what might be given for the sake of the neighbor near and far, what might strengthen and prosper the whole community. 
It's kind of like Israel's call from the beginning. They are blessed to be a blessing. And in fact, the, the end of our first reading for today from Deuteronomy kind of leads us into the gospel for today. We don't have to complete, it says, some sort of complicated matrix or, or, or get through some kind of set of, of complicated rules like a, like a difficult puzzle. We don't have to go on some long journey or some treasure hunt to dig up God's command to us. It's right there for us. It's right on the lips of the lawyer and the gospel for today. And it can be told in a parable with a point so blatantly obvious that any young child could understand it. Love God. Love neighbor. That's the answer that's been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years by the time this lawyer has a conversation with Jesus in our gospel for today. Certainly thousands at this point. That's it for living in God's kingdom. That's it for eternal life. What must I do to be part of the way and the truth that Jesus is ushering into the world? Love God. Love neighbor. Now this is not so much a transaction that if we love God and if we love our neighbor, do this and then God will bless us in some way. But it's more like a way of living, like I was talking about in the children's sermon. Like we already belong and this is just kind of how we are. My wife likes to say that to our kids, especially when they're kind of going a different direction. She'll look at them and say, Sands guards are kind. <laughs> Sands guards are not whatever it might be. She gives these kind of definitions. Can you get out of our family, child? No, of course you can't. No matter what you do, you're part of it, and we love you. But this is how we are and who we are. It's a way of living where we get the privilege to connect to our neighbor. The privilege. But the question always is, who is our neighbor then? That's the question. And the lawyer asks it and seeks to justify himself. <laughs> now here's where your first red flag should go off. Uh-oh. God loves it. Jesus loves it when we seek to justify ourselves. I mean, Jesus didn't die for you, right? You didn't need Jesus. After all, you're a good person. You don't need him. Look at all you've done for God. Look at all you know about God. You're so wonderful. You're here today. You don't need Jesus. Let me pause for a moment before we jump into this parable today to say this very clearly. And I, and I might as well be looking in the mirror when I say this. If what you do, if what we do in our faith life comes from a sense of resigned obligation to God. I've got to do this. Well, I really should do this. I better do this or else. And it doesn't come from a sense of joyful response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I get to be a part of this. I'm excited to answer God's calling in this way. If it's the former and not the latter, then, then seriously take stock of your motivations. Take time in prayer with God. Uh, take time in God's word. Bask and bathe in the grace and gift of it all. Seek out the promises in the scriptures. And listen to this parable. Because Jesus is about to take this lawyer's sense of obligation and his self-righteousness and nail it so deeply in the cross and bury it so darkly in the tomb it will never be found again. 
And of course, Jesus does this by telling the very familiar parable that we all know. The parable of the good Nazi. Sorry. I've been cutting trees all weekend. Probably got hit in the head. The parable of the good terrorist. No, that doesn't seem right either. The parable of the good. Oh, I thought you'd be afraid to answer by that point. Nope. You're right. The parable of the good Samaritan. Now, if you were at the Puyallup Fair and your kid or you fell and you hurt your arm and you weren't sure if it was broken... Would you drive up the hill to the good Nazi hospital, the good terrorist hospital? You wouldn't think of doing that, would you? Would you ever go to a hospital that's called that? Well, no Jewish person in their right mind in Jesus' day would go to a hospital called Good Samaritan Hospital. Those names that I inserted there incorrectly, those get at that point of how deep and abiding the hatred was between Samaritans and Jews. I've tried to make comparisons to the 49ers or the Yankees. There are more Yankee fans, it seems like, at Seattle games than Mariners fans. But anyway, that's another issue that probably isn't covered in the gospel. But none of those rivalries even come close to the deep scars and even the open wounds that existed between Jews and Samaritans in Jesus' day. Samaritans are the bad guys, cut and dried, black and white. Now, the question the lawyer asked Jesus is, Who is my neighbor? And that was a real debate in that time, certainly. I think it still is for us as well. In fact, I think it's a very very open debate that we have oftentimes in our religious culture and and in our um, political culture in all kinds of ways. And Jesus answers this in a sense. He actually answers it very clearly and very succinctly. Jesus says in his parable, a certain man. Now that may fly by you as it did for me very quickly. But it's very particular as to why Jesus says a certain man was traveling on this road and, came up, and the robbers came upon him and all that kind of stuff. But that point, a certain man, answers the question for us, who is my neighbor? Here's how you figure this out. It's really complicated. If you encounter someone who was born and is still breathing or through your assistance might start to breathe again, They are your neighbor. Did you follow that? I went slowly, just in case you're still sleepy. If they are breathing and they were born or might breathe again because of your assistance, they are your neighbor. You got that? That's what Jesus says to the lawyer today and to us as well. But Jesus really stretches the question. He wants to take it beyond who is my neighbor, and he wants to bring it into the how. It's as if he's saying, now that I've made the question of who is your neighbor, bonehead easy for you to understand. Let me show you what it means to engage with your neighbor. And here the Samaritan's actions become really key because his intentions are the key here. His heart as well as his hands are engaged with this certain man. The Samaritan doesn't just do what is helpful. He doesn't do what might be obligatory once he's engaged with with this certain man. He doesn't fulfill the law. Without any obligation, he goes absolutely all in. He goes above and beyond, more than what could possibly be expected by those who are hearing Jesus' parable. Even without the hatred towards the anti-hero of the story, they would be amazed at what he does. He treats this certain man, this, this unknown figure, as if 
as if it's an absolute privilege to serve him, to be connected with him, to engage with him, as if the opportunity of serving in such an overabundant way is something he's been preparing for his entire life. Not that he, of course, wishes for his neighbor to fall on these difficult times, but when it does happen, he is equipped in every possible way. He's ready to step in without any delay. Now, the key in this passage, I think, is the fact that he comes near. I didn't even go into the priest and the Levite and their actions in this parable. Um, And there's, of course, some kind of debate about their motivations. Some Jewish scholars say that the priest and the Levite, you know, they have particular duties. And if they come near to a dead dead body, maybe, because we don't know, the man's unconscious, it seems, or, or someone who's dying, and if they make contact, they'll be unclean and they won't be able to fulfill their duties. That's one kind of take on this particular story for why they pass by. Some Jewish scholars say, scholars say no, actually, those who were listening to Jesus would have expected the priest, would have expected the Levite to jump in to help out, and it would have been shocking for them to hear that they had behaved in such a way, that those who, you know, kind of fulfill the obligation to the law and help the people fulfill the obligation to the law, that they would pass by is kind of unthinkable. But the point is, they pass by. Jesus makes a commonality between both the priest and the Levite, and he's probably speaking a little bit to the lawyer as well and kind of the motivation for his question, perhaps. They don't just pass by. They actually go to the other side, right? They pass by on the other side. That's the, that's the commonality between the priest and the Levite. They pass by on the other side. The words are exactly the same to describe both of them. They get out of the way. This hits home for me. I don't know about you. So much of what I do, it seems, is based on fear, based on mistrust, based on a cynical view of life or of other people. And I know where fear leads. It leads to isolation. It leads to assumptions about other people generally or specifically. So often as I've taken the opportunity to come near, my assumptions are exploded, right? But let me give you an anti-hero story about myself. (laughs) When I was a pastor in South Tacoma, our parking lot was famous for being the fireworks display of the neighborhood. I was never there for it, but I was always there for the aftermath. Actually, we had a better fireworks display where I, where I lived, not the church I served, but where I lived because we had a tribal policeman who would seize everybody's fireworks and then he would set them all off in the dry... In the <laughs> absolutely true story. <laughs> Till about 2 a.m. right next to Jaden's bedroom. But anyway, but I would go on the day after the 4th or the Monday after the weekend of the 4th or whatever it might be and... and Sometimes by myself or with others, we'd sweep the parking lot up, you know, spend a couple of hours at least sweeping all the stuff that was left in our parking lot. And I had done that one day, and I was in a pretty grumpy mood. It was just by myself, and I was walking back towards around the front of the building towards my office, and I saw this hubcaps laying there, and I was, took it, and I was about ready to fling it across the road, and I thought, no, I'll put it up against the, you know, against the light post here. Maybe somebody lost it. But I was still kind of in a grumpy mood, and I was walking along with my head down towards my office, and this young man was walking towards me. And he was, you know, he was pretty decked out for, for an early morning after the 4th, and all this kind of North Carolina blue, and one, you know, kind of sweat pant pulled up, uh, you know, and the sock pulled up, the whole pretty sweet look. 
But I thought, you know, I don't, I'm not in any mood to talk to anybody, so I looked down, and I was just going to do the, hey, how you doing, kind of thing. You know how you do that? And so I did. I did the, hey, how you doing? And I looked down, and I'm passing by him, and he says, oh, I am blessed today. Thank you so much for asking, and how are you today, sir? <laughs> not today, man, not today. <laughs> I, just, I just looked at him with my mouth open. And I fulfilled our mission, mission in that uh, moment, which was connect less people to Christ, right? <laughs> but by contrast, what does it mean to come near? What does it mean to come near? Have you had that experience? Our uh, youth are going to uh, Montana once again, and I remember the first year we did that, just God putting people in your way, so to speak. We were at this camp, and there was a Catholic, large Catholic family that was having this big family reunion at the camp at the other Luther Haven out on Lake Coeur d'Alene. And this gentleman heard where we were going, and he came up to me, and he said, have you heard the story about the Jesuit priest who served in the Blackfeet Nation and in Hart Butte where you're going? I said, no, no idea. And he said there was this young man, and he grew up uh, kind of in the Spokane area, and he went to, I think he went to like a private school, maybe a Gonzaga, has a private high school kind of thing, and had all this privilege and all this kind of stuff, and he was a star student, and he went to Gonzaga, and he went to the seminary, and, and he was just, oh, people were just gaga over this guy, straight four-point student, athletic, and, and well-spoken, he could sing, he was just the perfect guy. And he got done with his seminary education, and of course the Catholic Church kind of just assigns you as a priest to a particular area. And they thought, oh, is he going to go to a university? Or is he going to go to New York City? Or is he going to go, where's the big cathedral in Spokane? Where's he going to go? And he was assigned to Hart Butte, Montana. Tiny little Roman Catholic church. And people kind of laughed. They said, oh, that's, you can get out of that. That's no problem. No, it's, and, he, and he looked at them, and, he, and his answer was this. He said, he said, I've grown up with all kinds of privilege all my life. I've been protected and you know, sheltered in a community he said, I am for sure going to Hart Butte to serve. He said, I, I go there to save, this is how he said it, this is his quote, I go there to save my goddamned soul. Because he knew without coming near to the other, his soul was not, not whole. He wasn't whole. And I don't know much about the rest of that story, but I know that he served in that community and he's remembered there. This parable is obvious but it's not easy. Coming near for us means that we have to change, that we have to adjust, that we are ready to, uh, to, uh, to help, to fulfill, to, to engage with the other. We might have to give something up. We might have to prepare in ways that, we might, that might not be fulfill our own selfishness or self-justification. But there is another story. There's this, there's this pretty decent greatest story ever told about one who comes near to us. We are given a great example in Jesus Christ, and, and we're simply asked to follow. Not out of obligation, but for the joy and the privilege of following the one who has come near to us, by coming near to those around us, by loving God through loving those around us. Love God. Love neighbor. It's that easy. Amen.